Hello and welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 12th of January with me Ian Welsh. A couple of weeks ago I caught up with a regular guest in the podcast, SEDEX Bex Hall. We talked about the development of a more sustainable apparel and fashion sector and how to ensure processes of continued improvement. That's to come. First though is some sustainable business news. The news that 2023 was the hottest year ever came as little surprise. The planet was 1.4 Celsius hotter than pre-industrial times on average last year, meaning that we will almost certainly break through the 1.5 Celsius target set under the 2015 Paris Agreement. Scientists won't consider the target broken until temperatures are consistently above 1.5 Celsius, but it's surely only a matter of time. Data from the EU's Copernicus Climate Change Service puts temperatures at 0.17 Celsius higher in 2023 than in 2016, the previous record year. Another record for 2023 is that it was the first year in which every day was at least one Celsius warmer than pre-industrial averages. The EU scientists say that the results demonstrate dramatically how far the world is from that in which human civilization developed and that 2023's temperatures are likely to have exceeded any of the period of the last 100,000 years. So clearly there is less time than ever to do something. And of course, many big businesses are making dramatic efforts to decarbonize operations and supply chains. A new Net Zero Navigator report from consultancy MITI surveyed 100 UK companies with more than 1,000 employees. And two thirds said that they recognize that reducing carbon emissions in 2024 will be good for business and investor engagement. Data capturing challenges are a concern, however, with a third of the companies surveyed lacking in confidence that they can collect the right data for accurate energy use prediction. The UN's annual report on global economic prospects predicts relatively low global growth of 2.4% in 2024, slowing from 2.7% in 2023, and trending below the pre-pandemic average of 3.0%. Poor post-pandemic economic bounce back, combined with climate-related risks and potential damages, are cited as determining factors alongside global conflicts such as those in Ukraine and the Middle East. Such divisions, the UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres warns, are preventing effective international response to climate change and other global crises. Guterres has called for further progress, building on that made in 2023, towards a sustainable development goal stimulus of at least $500 billion per year in affordable long-term financing for investments in sustainable development and climate action. 2024 is also looking set to be a big year for business and human rights risks and challenges. A piece published on Forbes by Professor of Ethics and Finance at NYU Stern School of Business, Michael Posner, on prospects for the year caught my eye. He highlights a few things to look out for in the coming months. Firstly, the impacts of the EU's mandating member governments to regulate corporate conduct affecting human rights for workers and the global supply chains via the Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive, which is likely to be formally adopted this year. Companies doing business in Europe will need to build systems that address human rights risks in supply chains as the regulation is rolled out. Secondly, is reform of best practice in ESG investment frameworks. Professor Posner points to an error in these when they measure how environmental or social risks may harm shareholders rather than how businesses harm the world and wider stakeholders. Thirdly, businesses' role in safeguarding the integrity of elections in a year where more than 2 billion people will go to the polls. Social media companies in particular have retreated from commitments to defend electoral integrity and address election-related misinformation. Fourthly, human rights violations in China's Xinjiang province continue. More than 1 million Uyghur people have been detained and routinely subjected to forced labour, particularly in the agriculture sector. Given China's enormous economic significance, accounting for 40% of manufacturing and being itself the second largest consumer economy, it is very difficult for many Western companies to stop doing business there. But as sanctions against products from Xinjiang province continue to bite and consumer awareness increases, ongoing significant supply security and reputational risks seem likely. 
Just before the end of year break, I was pleased to talk with Sedex's Head of Consulting, Bex Hall, about trends in the apparel sector and what to look out for this year. This is the first in this year's State of Apparel series content that we will be publishing over the coming weeks in the run-up to the Sustainable Apparel and Textiles conferences in Amsterdam and New York in the spring. We're going to be talking a bit today about the development of sustainable fashion. Everyone seems to knock the term fast fashion, but what do we mean by fast fashion? And, and how do you see this evolving into a more sustainable approach? Fast fashion is one of those terms, as you say, Ian, that gets bandied around a lot. And I don't think there's really a consistent definition of it between different industries, different professionals, and certainly amongst consumers. The way that I tend to approach the concept of fast fashion is, is to take it very literally. And it's the idea that fashion, clothing, apparel items are produced very quickly. It's fast from seeing it on a catwalk or having the inspiration from you know a celebrity or, or an artist to having that product ordered or purchased and in your hand is a very, very short time span. And then putting that within the context of sustainability and the clothing and apparel industry, the connotations that that tends to come with are quite negative, that in order to produce that clothing, that apparel so quickly, there must be corners cut somewhere, such as the quality of the material, perhaps the production mechanisms, and then, of course, the people producing that clothing. What conditions are they producing that under when they're doing it so quickly? So I think a lot of those negative connotations are what seems to drive the negativity towards the idea of fast fashion and the implications that it has. I think to the question about moving it towards a more positive approach and turning fast fashion into more of a sustainable model, there's a huge amount of work going on in the space from activists, from businesses, from NGOs, and also governments, actually, when you look at some of the recent legislation on textiles and fashion industry. It's really an exciting space to be. There's a few different focal areas when we look at the problems of fast fashion that we can really hone in on to try and solve those issues. When we talk about the business models, so the, the fast, the quickness of the production of these items, whilst that's not necessarily inherently a bad thing, what businesses need to ensure that they're doing is that they're protecting the workers and doing the best that they can to make sure that people producing items quickly are not being overworked and they're not being forced into doing hours that are unreasonable and they're being looked after in terms of their health and safety and, of course, are being paid appropriately for the work that they're doing. The problem we tend to see is that when something is being produced incredibly quickly, there's a huge squeeze on the workers. Rather than increasing the workforce and the resource capacity for something that needs to be produced quickly and probably in a large volume, that is just forced onto the existing workforce, which can be really problematic. So making sure that workforces are properly supported in producing these items is really key. From an environmental perspective, the other thing to really consider is that if things are being produced very, very quickly, it's quite likely that the processes around that production will have some holes in from the sake of, for instance, a lot of waste being produced in the cutting or the different production of garments and um, through to things like the amount of water that might be used or the dyes that are being used. Where is that waste going and how much resource is being used? there. There are just a couple of examples where the issues that tend to underlie fast fashion can be honed in on and actually be seen as an opportunity to be more sustainable by putting in positive practices there. Do you think that a more helpful approach is often to think about direction of travel and continual improvement rather than kind of switch from one model to another? Is that how you think this might be best achieved? 
I think so, because practically organizations, businesses are not going to change overnight. And certainly the cultural element that underlies fast fashion. So when we think of influencers, celebrities, certain brands that probably pop to mind for people. Something that's been a huge bugbear of mine for years is the practice or the phrase of hauling, like H-A-U-L, when influencers get a haul of goods from somewhere, which is far more items than anyone actually ever needs, (laughs) and then treats them in quite a disposable fashion. And unfortunately, I don't think that that is going to change quickly anytime soon. However, you're right. Taking an idea of small changes and continuous improvement seems to be the way forwards here. So focusing on specific issues or specific topics, so whether that might be environmental or social, can be a really great way to start. There are certain brands um, out there already who are really leading the forefront with this, organizations and businesses that really try to demonstrate the value of the products that they have, um, the fact that they perhaps have more limited ranges in terms of the variety of products that they have, but being able to demonstrate how those products were made, show their longevity over time, and that they really are very valuable to people to try and counteract that idea of quick, fast, disposable items. We can also see that in some of the legislation that's being passed in different countries around the world as well in terms of driving that continuous improvement, particularly e-legislation around textiles, labelling and packaging is really very interesting when we look at textiles and apparel industry. In asking or making companies and businesses properly label their products in terms of how recyclable they are, um, what materials they were made from and, and the packaging as well, it does really force businesses to tap into some of the considerations of, well, how was this product produced? Is it recyclable? What happens once it's been used and it goes into the waste process? Can it be recycled? And those little changes that are coming in in some countries already and others over the next few years, I think will really steer that improvement cycle in the industry. For industry players that are thinking about making these improvements, what's the most useful next step guidance for them? There's a huge range of resources out there when it comes to guidance. And I think sometimes businesses trip themselves up over the fact that there isn't one consistent definition of a sustainable fashion or sustainable apparel out there. And that can become a bit of a barrier. However, if you take that away and you understand the core sort of fundamentals and principles of sustainability in general, you'll find that there's a lot of guidance available for you in different areas. Taking it back to basics can be really a very, very helpful place to start and actually looking at your business model in terms of your production, you know, your supply chain, the transporting of goods, the marketing of those goods, and then the life cycle of that product after it has been retailed to your customer. And honing in on each of those different areas to determine the most appropriate action can be a really good first step. Taking it right back, particularly when we're talking about the human nature of things, the supply chain, the production, taking it back to something like the United Nations Guiding Principles and various guidelines that sit around that can be a really, really key place to start to ensure that the products are being produced in as socially sustainable way as possible. From an environmental perspective, again, there's a lot of guidance available from different industry bodies, from different governments, and again, NGOs as well as expert third parties on the types of materials that might be used and how to sustainably manage those throughout the life cycle of that product. 
the best thing to do, in all honesty, is spend a bit of time reading up on the particular types of materials that organizations use within their clothing to see what the best tips are there. And also to try and learn from each other, different gatherings and different industry bodies for the textiles and apparel industry, whether that might be an innovation forum event, if you're in North America, something like the American Association for Footwear and Apparel, or the UK or EU equivalents can be a really good place to start to learn from people who may be further along this journey than you are. How do you suggest that companies go about identifying the sorts of metrics that will help them? We always talk about things need to be measured, but how do you identify what to measure? Again, without this core definition of what sustainable fashion is or might be, businesses can trip themselves up on this. Where we tend to suggest that businesses start is taking a bit of a two-pronged approach. One is understand what legislation applies to you and what metrics might be included within that legislation. Particularly when we talk about the EU, which is arguably a bit of a leader when it comes to legislation on these topics, some of the laws, either at EU level or national level, are quite prescriptive about the sort of information that needs to be gathered, whether that might be the amount of water that goes into a product, the material, composition, plastics, um, various pieces there. So check the legislation um, and see what is needed is one point. The second point is then to take a look at your business and align on what you already have and what you already gather to really determine what is crucial to you. Depending on the type of goods and products that you provide, there might be certain metrics that are more relevant to you than to other organizations. So for instance, if you're an organization that perhaps does not produce goods with any sort of animal product, animal welfare metrics are arguably not that important to you or that that salient. Whereas if you are a leather goods provider, that's obviously incredibly key. And then building on that, the types of processes that go around the goods that you produce will also ensure that you gather the right sets of data. So if you are a leather provider, water and chemicals from the tanning process are going to be really key to you. Whereas again, those without animal products, less so. How important is a flexibility of approach and being conscious of the context? I mean, there isn't a one size fits all solution for any of this, is there? No, there isn't. So taking context into account is absolutely crucial, especially when we look at the fact that most textile and apparel production is a multi-country, if not multi-continent process. A lot of the world's textiles, as many people know, are produced in Asia and Southeast Asia, but then the majority of them end up being sold in countries such as the United States and European nations. So by the time we look at the different business, environmental, social and cultural contexts in all these different places, one size really doesn't fit all. For businesses that do have multinational supply chains and multinational customer bases, it's really important for them to identify, as we've mentioned, what some of the legislative requirements are on them, but also what fits their business model and where they can invest and where they can make changes, whether they might be small in the beginning or very big changes, to have the best overall positive impact. I think this is particularly pertinent when we talk about the environmental impacts of of fashion, whether it might be fast or sustainable, as there are different contexts in terms of the laws and different producing regions, different retail regions, but also different challenges. If we look at some of the areas of the world where some of the raw materials for textiles and apparel come from, you might have very great extremes of weather and therefore extremes in availability of resources. So drought and water being a very obvious one, and then the knock-on effect on agriculture of plants like cotton and so forth. It's really, really key to make sure you understand the local context of what you're doing as well as the overall big picture. 
Something else that's been a real big issue in the last few months has been greenwashing. It's almost as if greenwashing is back and of course it never really went away. How important do you think is it for apparel sector brands to be aware of greenwashing risk? I mean, it strikes me there's a real danger of a lack of ambition sometimes because brands are terrified of potential greenwashing accusations. It certainly has reared its head again recently in the last few years with a lot of allegations out there against businesses for greenwashing, as you say. It's not surprising that businesses are are scared of putting out information lest they are accused of greenwashing. I think fundamentally what it comes down to, and when we work with businesses, this is the way that we guide them through these challenges, is that you're only greenwashing if you're making claims that are untrue or that you cannot substantiate. So it's about taking a look at what you're doing and making sure that it is true, obviously, that it's substantiated with proper data and proper verified information, and that also it's worded in a correct fashion so that it's not misleading to various stakeholders, such as your customers, investors, or other businesses. When you take it right back to that core, it actually isn't that scary anymore. So say you do produce a pair of trousers and you have the information that this production mechanism and the new way of producing them does use less water than your previous mechanism. You can state that you can provide the information and therefore you can say these trousers use less water. Where I think businesses become trapped, if you like, is the wording and almost the jargon around it. So to say, these are sustainable trousers, well, what does that really mean? But to say, these trousers are produced using less water than before, absolutely fine. But I can absolutely see that that's quite wordy. That's not something someone necessarily wants to print out on a label. So there is a bit of back and forth there to make sure that things are being done correctly. But fundamentally, as a business, if you know that you are taking action, and as I say, you can verify the activities that you're putting into place, then you should be able to find a way forward without running into trouble and being accused of greenwashing there. How do you see the sector evolving? We've talked about moving from the more fast fashion model into developing more sustainable fashion models, just as brands evolve their approach. How will the things move forward? It's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the next few years, I think, with this, Ian. Something that jumps to mind and when we discussed doing this podcast that popped into my head is how we've seen over the last 10, 20 years, the huge rise in power and influence and use of social media. And then over the last few years, we've started to see the reduction in that in some cases, people choosing to detox from it, people choosing to spend time away from their phones. And I wonder if there are some similes there with the fashion apparel industry. As we've mentioned, obviously, fast fashion seems to be unstoppable at this point. But more and more, you are seeing businesses turn away from that sort of business model and consumers start to become more educated and turn away from that as well. A feeling I have is that the future of the fashion industry is that there might become a bit of a polarisation, that the fast fashion industry probably won't stop because there is for some a need for it. Millions of people are employed in that industry, but they will continue at one end of the spectrum. And then at the other end of the spectrum, we will have this slower fashion movement where organisations do produce clothes in a more sustainable way. They are treated differently. They have longer lifespans. Customers take a different approach to purchasing them and, and really try and reduce their consumption. And I feel that we may have a bit of a bifurcation towards the opposite ends of the spectrum. And hopefully over time, the fast fashion industry will learn from the developments of those organisations that are being progressive around sustainability and be able to incorporate more sustainable practices into their business models as well.
Well, it's certainly going to be a fascinating process of evolution in a highly innovative space. So look forward to seeing how it all plans out. But Bexall, thanks very much for giving us your suggestions as to how the apparel sector is going to evolve. Thank you, Ian. The Innovation Forum website is, as ever, the place to go for all the usual analysis and interviews. There's a new piece just published that outlines all that we're up to this year. And do look out over the coming weeks for more content in this year's State of Apparel series. And sign up now for next week's free webinar when we'll be talking about the EU deforestation regulation. That's it for now, though. I've been Ian Welsh, and until next time, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>